Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews anytime at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do a companion podcast to this that covers films of the 1980s. Actually, right now I'm going through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, a little bit related to the film I'm going to be reviewing today, at least in terms of being a slasher movie. Just do a search for Around the World in 80s Movies wherever you're listening to this right now, and you'll find it. As I mentioned today, we're going to be doing a slasher movie of sorts. It is a continuation of John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. Forty years later, it is also called Halloween, even though it's not technically a remake. It's a film that's directed and co-written by David Gordon Green. It's also co-written by Danny McBride. Yes, that Danny McBride and Jeff Fradley. The cast brings back Jamie Lee Curtis into her role as Laurie Strode, and the supporting cast includes Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, Nick Castle, James Jude, Courtney, Will Patton, and a bunch of others. It's an R-rated film. It does have horror, violence, and bloody images, language, and brief drug use, as well as some nudity. The runtime is an hour and 46 minutes. David Gordon Green, if you've heard that name, he's esteemed. Sometimes he's a hit-and-miss director, but he does take chances, and that is admirable in this day and age. He takes a turn here toward the horror genre for the first time with Halloween. This is a sequel to the 1978 classic slasher film from John Carpenter. Low-budget horror outfit Blumhouse Productions takes over the series here with a small scale. It's only $10 million in its budget. It's very contained, but it's still a very professional effort that should keep series fans pleased. And the decision to mostly ignore the several follow-ups, there were six official sequels to Halloween, although one was not directly related. You have a reboot and its own sequel by Rob Zombie. But this one really is just a sequel to the original film, the first film. Not Halloween 2, not Halloween H2O, or any other of the films that also include the Laurie Strode character. And that will be enough probably to make this film palatable to those who may not have revisited the franchise after the first film. Now, you could even watch and enjoy this 2018 take on Halloween without seeing the original. Maybe that's why they chose the title of Just Halloween instead of anything that would denote that it's a sequel. Although those who are familiar with the original will get a little bit more mileage out of the experience because it has some Easter eggs. A lot of deliberate fan service is paid here. To some extent, with the exception of the backstory and maybe a few older characters in this film, it's a bit of a rehash. It's been 40 years since we first saw Laurie Strode, played here by Jamie Lee Curtis. She first ran for her life from the mass serial killer Michael Myers back then. And though there have been eight other entries within the franchise technically, Green's revisit mostly ignores them all. Possibly because only the first one is held with any kind of particular regard. Jamie Lee Curtis had returned to try to jumpstart the franchise before, 20 years ago, Halloween H2O, although David Gordon Green makes a decided effort to erase all of the interactions between Myers and Strode since they first met, including the revelation in part two that they are siblings. In this film, Myers is said to have killed his sister, but that sister is not Laurie. Now, we find that Laurie did not leave her suburban home of Haddonfield, Illinois, and for a reason we come to learn from this film. Even though Myers has been in prison, basically, for decades for his vicious murders, Laurie now has a family. She has a middle-aged, resentful daughter named Karen and a naive teenage granddaughter named Allison. Although she obviously moved on with life, she hasn't quite moved on with her near-death experience, 
she's still fixated on the notion that Michael Myers will inevitably find a way to come after her in order to finish what he started 40 years ago. Her house now is basically a bunker. There's an arsenal beneath it built in anticipation that there will be a final showdown where one of them, only one of them, makes it out alive. Now, Lori's superstitions turn out to have merit. After all, Myers manages to escape prison life while in transport to a new facility, an accident that results in deadly violence against his captors to allow his escape back to Haddonfield and on Halloween night, no less. So the confrontation will happen. Now, 2018's Halloween isn't intriguing, but it is all over the map in terms of the overall experience. It does combine horror, humor, and suspense with a lot of somewhat odd story choices. You have introduction to characters we're not sure that merit much exploration, yet they're explored here. Part of this may be due to the screenwriting combination of comedic actor Danny McBride, Jeff Fradley, who worked as a second unit director on McBride's The Foot Fist Way. He also was a production consultant on David Gordon Green's Your Highness, which also starred McBride. And then you have, of course, David Gordon Green himself, three people with entirely different sensibilities and ways of envisioning dialogue and none with any experience in the horror genre. For instance, there's a whole scene where this babysitting chore gets turned awry. Laurie Strode was a babysitter in her film. I guess that's kind of the homage here. We're allowed to see the bond between this caretaker and this child, as well as her trying to score some pod and potential later dalliance with her boyfriend, I guess. And None of these characters we really care about. I mean, we know that these characters are likely just fodder for the slaughter, so we probably just keep from getting invested. But it's a lengthy scene. It kind of works in its own way for a slasher movie, but it kind of takes away the concentration, I think, from the main story eventually. The granddaughter character here seems more like a means to keep the franchise alive beyond Curtis, should this iteration prove successful. So this imbalance of non-authenticity it results in the thematic material being a little bit murky here, strictly for the monetary consideration of the filmmakers. J.B. Lee Curtis, she does get to shine in this role. She gives this character the weight of being someone who's suffered from a lifetime of PTSD from her traumatic experience 40 years before. It results in her rampant paranoia that's caused her to be overprotective of her daughter to the point of schism. She really taught her daughter how to defend herself should Michael Myers make his reappearance. Her gearing up through the toughening up of her offspring and becoming an expert in the use of war tactics, it may remind some viewers of this turn that Linda Hamilton took in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. She prepares for the inevitable return of her seemingly unstoppable boogeyman out to snuff her out. The rest of the cast, save perhaps Judy Greer, they offer little of consequence that's worth following here especially in these psychologists and these true crime podcasters who seem to see Michael Myers as some sort of specimen worth observing for how he commits evil acts, almost taunting and teasing him to come out and kill again because they hope that this infatuated predator and this obsessed prey are going to meet to fulfill some sort of destiny that's keeping them both alive and then they'll be able to analyze and make money <laughs> off of the experience. And while all of this is mildly intriguing and David Gordon Green's direction helps it work better than the sequels that have come out in the past. He does a pretty good job here, as a director anyway. There is a tendency to overplay its hand that results in some of the silly moments. The film's prologue sees a couple of podcasters who visit Michael Myers in some sort of weird high-security sanitarium where this killer is feared as some sort of object of unspeakably powerful evil, concentrated evil, and that there are boundaries that even the heavily armed prison guards 
Try Not to Cross. This scene also ends with a lot of histrionics among the fellow inmates once these podcasters engage Michael Myers with his fabled mask, as if the mask is some sort of a source of mystical powers that he is somehow diminished by in its absence, kind of like Samson losing his hair. The reverence that's paid here to Michael Myers from these podcast journalists, as well as the psychiatric world at large, is kind of a huge pill to try to swallow, especially if we're supposed to wipe away all of the events of the sequels, in which case it does make little sense to give this character the kind of reverence of malevolence that exceeds tenfold that of Hannibal Lecter. I mean, he killed five people in the original film. There are certainly more real-life examples of people who are much more malevolent than Michael Myers. The wily Coyote and Roadrunner aspect of the relationship between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode is also a bit far-fetched without those other sequels, especially this notion that they are both living for the day that they can have their big battle as if their personal Armageddon were foretold from some ancient text. It really plays up this yin and yang experience that they have to a point where I don't think it really makes a lot of sense unless you take into account that they've been going at this for a long, long time, which they haven't because they just had that one experience in the first film. Now, the theme of what to do about evil could have been interesting to build a whole story around. You know, should we strive to examine evil and understand how and why it happens? Or should we just eradicate it as soon as we see it? No questions asked when you have the chance. Our society is built upon making sure that evil is at bay, and yet people are so fascinated by it. They listen to podcasts endlessly that are specifically about serial killers. They shoot up the box office numbers for films about serial killings, just like this one. Perhaps this angle is the only fresh take in a film that's otherwise crafted merely to make its makers a lot of money before the Halloween season of 2018, but at least it is an angle. And that's something that most of the rest of the Halloween sequels had been sorely lacking in the past, a reason to exist beyond the first film. Now, Halloween may fall short of achieving the kind of place in the hearts of horror fans as that of the John Carpenter original, but though it isn't saying a lot, I realize it will likely be regarded by many as the best of the sequel attempts. David Gordon Green's direction is, as I mentioned, solid, and while the script choices and occasionally awkward dialogue leave a few heads scratching, I mean, there's a line early in the film about peanut butter on one's penis, in my mind, written by Danny McBride there. That's being just one example. The tension still is there when it needs to be, and we actually do care to see whether certain characters will live or die by the end, which is something most of the slasher movies in the series, and in general, of the slasher film genre as a whole, that's something they fail to do usually. This Halloween may be less of a trick than the 1978 original, but it's still a treat, and it's enough for me to give it three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for people who like this kind of movie. If you're a fan of the Halloween series, at least of the first film, I do recommend checking it out, at least for curiosity's sake. I think it's well-made, it's well-mounted, and it has enough intriguing ideas to merit its existence. If you're not a fan of the original Halloween film or just abhor slasher films in general, maybe it's not going to be as much of an appeal to you. But I think that you know to stay away from this kind of movie by now. Three stars out of four for Halloween. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you have a great Halloween yourself. If you have your own thoughts on this film and you want to write to me, you can find my contact information at my website, quipster.net. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Until next time, thanks everyone, and please enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. 